FM. It is absolutely impossible to to hold a restorative disposition without really sincere and deep curiosity for what is going on. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Restorative Arlington is a relatively new initiative aimed at incorporating restorative justice practices into Arlington County's public schools, legal system, and the community at large. It's part of a larger effort that seeks to move us along the spectrum from retributive justice based on punishment to distributive justice involving therapeutic treatment of offenders to restorative justice based on restitution and input from both victims and offenders. At its core, restorative justice is about community building and repairing not only the harm done, but also the relationships involved. It seems to me to be a deeply curious enterprise. As Arlington's restorative justice coordinator, Kimiko Lighty works to implement the restorative Arlington strategic plan, which the county board approved in November 2020. Kimiko comes to the work as an Arlington resident and parent of an Arlington Public Schools student, deeply invested in supporting an equitable and empathetic community where we all thrive together. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Foreign Service from Georgetown University, as well as a Master's of Interdisciplinary Studies in Conflict Analysis and Resolution from George Mason University. She's an innovative contributor in the development of new techniques for conflict mitigation and resolution, and she fairly leapt at my invitation. So I'm delighted to have her join me today. Welcome, Kimiko. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us what restorative justice means. Oh, so what I would say is that restorative justice is primarily a disposition. It is a way of being in the world that really recognizes the interconnection between people, that sees everyone as essential, that sees the the connections between us as the fundamental building blocks of our of our society and that really wants to tend to those relationships as much as it tends to the individuals within the community. You know, it's, it's also important to say that, uh, that many of these practices are rooted in indigenous knowledge from around the world. My circle trainer learned from the indigenous people of the Pacific Northwest the conferencing methodology that we follow here for uh, handling cases of harm is indigenous to the Maori people of what we think of as New Zealand. So there's something sort of new and radical about restorative justice, but there's also something very old and very intuitive about it as well. You know, after we lined up this interview, I went back and I reread everything that I had been reading about restorative justice. And I reread the county strategic plan and and nowhere did I see the word curiosity. And yet I had in my first reading and certainly in my subsequent reading felt like the whole approach was just infused with curiosity. Am I right about that? 
You are absolutely right about that. We have our steering committee meeting tonight. You will see that lead with curiosity is one of the guidelines and curiosity is one of one of the values that really informs the work that we do. Part of restorative practices, part of that disposition that I mentioned is believing that the world is really full of knowledge and that no one person or one group of people can hold knowledge in a way that is definitive, right? And so the way that restorative justice works is is that we come into a situation not with a sense of rights and wrongs and, and prescriptives for what should have or could have been, what we're thinking of is what happened. We're, we're really working to approach, approach each situation and each individual human and the relationships between the people who were involved in an incident with a tremendous amount of curiosity. It is impossible to do this job without curiosity. <laughs> it is absolutely impossible to, to hold a restorative disposition without really sincere and deep curiosity for what is going on in these situations and with these people. And the fundamental belief is that curiosity and the the commitment to curiosity throughout the process gives birth to creativity Mm. and to authenticity. So that that the space that we're creating with our, our curiosity allows all the participants, whether you're doing a community building circle or you're facilitating a case of fairly of severe harm, right? Bringing curiosity to that situation invites everyone involved to be authentic, to be honest, to, to be creative about what is possible and what is useful to either create better relationships or to repair a harm that has damaged relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So why have restorative justice? I mean, why this as opposed to the status quo? Well, I think that there are a few ways to think about this. What is most intuitive to me is to think about it in alignment with the way I want to live my life and the way that I want my children to be part of the world, right? To see each other as part of the whole, to invite honesty to invite care and compassion, to invite fairness, to invite equity, to invite the celebration of of who people are, of their individual genius. So all of those things are possible in a restorative framework. Many of those things are not possible within our criminal legal system. We've created this criminal legal system that that discourages people from being honest about what they're responsible for in an incident of harm, that discourages people from bringing their whole selves because you you are judged, so you have to conform to certain standards of engagement. And, and a lot of those standards are unfortunately based in, in some biases that our systems hold for people who are more affluent, more powerful, so our current system does not invite fairness and authenticity in the same way. I saw somewhere where someone said that there is no restorative justice without racial 
justice. So this requires a foundation of some things that there's work to be done on. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So how Um, does it work? So in a case of harm, and I do want to highlight that uh, restorative justice practices involve the full gamut from, from things that are rooted in community building and dialogue, all the way up to addressing incidents of harm and even larger systemic harms, right? Multi-generational harms. So in an incident of harm, which is sort of what our criminal legal system tends to address, right? Incidents of harm. Something happened, right? A thing happened. And as a result, someone was hurt, maybe severely. And so what restorative justice seeks to do is to first go through a process of initial consent to say, okay, based on what we know, what data tells us is effective, is this incident of harm appropriate for a restorative process, mm-hmm. right? So, so not everything is. Is that No, yeah. what I would say maybe everything is, but uh-huh. we don't necessarily have data that shows us that everything uh, okay. is. Okay, good. Right? All right. Yep. And so because we want to be cautious above and beyond and really mindful about the way we are moving into something that is new for our county. We really want to focus on the types of issues that we have lots of data from other places that have been doing this from a long time that says in these types of cases of harm, restorative justice is very, very effective at meeting the needs of the people who were harmed in these incidents of making it less likely that this will happen again, that this person who is responsible for harm will ever do anything similar. And in in sort of repairing public trust and a public sense of safety. So we've sort of highlighted those types of things for our program based in data. And in our program, we've also spent a lot of time thinking about what will reduce racial and ethnic disparities here in Arlington County. We're partnered with Impact Justice And uh, they did this really great data mapping exercise with us. Uh, We got a a great set of data from ACPD. And we looked at where harm is happening in Arlington County, how it is prosecuted and charged, who ends up in detention as a result. We broke those things down by race and age and gender. And we were sort of able to highlight the types of harms and the locations of harm that were most likely to show racial and ethnic disparities. And so we're, we're really trying to target that and remedying that. So this is not squishy. This is really data-driven. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 One of the things that I find really interesting and important about it is, well, there are a couple of things, but one that comes to mind right now is the necessity of people's voluntary involvement yes. in this, which of course is... That's a sort of radical thing in the American (laughs) judicial system. Talk about the importance of that voluntary engagement. Yeah, having this be a voluntary program is essential for a few reasons. One, because when an incident of harm occurs, the agency and the choice of the person who was harmed is damaged, right? Mm -hmm. That this is the this is what the violation is beyond the the physical harm, the mental harm, the emotional harm, the harm to our sense of agency and choice is 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 damaged. And so making sure that people who are who experience a harm 
have a choice about how their harm is addressed does some of the work of starting to repair that, of starting to repair their sense of dignity, their sense of agency, their sense of peace. The other thing that I think is really interesting and important about this is the focus on ensuring that the harm does not happen again. Yes. And I know that we think that punishment is designed to motivate people to not do things again. How is this different? Why why does this have a qualitatively different outcome? So I think the qualitatively different outcome or the quantitatively different outcome, I should say, is the biggest difference, right? Because we know that incarceration has not been successful in deterring crime and harm. Uh, We have more people incarcerated here in the United States than there have ever been anywhere in the world at any point in history. And it has not made us as a nation safer. We also see that the, the Things that happen to someone who is incarcerated are the exact things that make it much more likely that they will harm someone. The things that someone needs to create successful strategies for public engagement, for being part of a community, are all taken away from people when they're incarcerated. Their connection with their community is broken, their connection with their their loved ones and their support people is broken, their support networks, their ability to to be able to find meaningful employment and pay for their lives is, is damaged through incarceration. And so what restorative justice does is exactly the opposite. First, we're going to avoid taking away the strategies that you already have to be a successful, connected contributing member of your your community, right? First, we're not going to take that away. And doing that by itself is probably going to make someone less likely to cause right. a harm, right? Sure, absolutely. But then on top of it, we're going to go through a self-reflection and interrogation process. So after we do our initial consent with both the person responsible for the harm and the person who has been harmed in an incident, we go through a series of conversations. We call this preparation or pre-conferencing. They're just conversations between restorative justice facilitators and the individuals involved. Sometimes we invite support people into these conversations for accountability, for emotional support, for perspective. And we're gonna talk about what happened. And, And this is the most important question because usually what happens involves why this harm happened, what the person was thinking or doing or needing when they made the choice to do the thing that caused the harm. And so we're going to talk about what happened. We're going to talk about who was harmed and how, because people are not always conscious of all the things, all the consequences of their actions. They may know that it's a bad decision. They may know that it could hurt somebody. But they may not know all the unintended consequences, the broad range, and and they may not know who could potentially be hurt. And so having that intentional process requires really intensive introspection from the person responsible for harm. And, And that can be transformational all by itself. 
A big part of it is also the last question, which is what can we do to repair the harm? So having the person who is responsible for a harm be actively involved in repairing that harm may be the most important piece of what gives peace of mind and a restored sense of safety and healing to the person who was harmed and also reduces the likelihood that the person who is responsible for the harm is going to be involved in a similar harm again. It requires people to do the work, right? And to invest the time and the thought and the care into not just being accountable and acknowledging the harm, but also doing the work to repair it investing in your community, investing in other community members. And that's what restorative justice requires of people who are responsible for harm. Our criminal legal system asks nothing but suffering of someone required for harm. Right. Right. So we're not asking them to do any work. You don't even have to admit that you're responsible for harm in our criminal legal system. Nothing is asked of you, but you know, to tolerate suffering. Restorative justice asks for much, much more of someone who is responsible for harm. We're asking you to care, to be creative about repairing it, to actually do the work to repair the harm and the relationships harmed yourself. This is, this is part of the magic of restorative justice and why we see in all the data that restorative justice in a community makes the community safer and reduces recidivism, repeat incidents of harm dramatically. Kind of having the language, having the tools, having the equipment, having the culture around us mm-hmm. that gives us a way to move through that process yes. seems to me to be really important. That's really the that's really the crux of what you're doing, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I'm happy to bring that back to curiosity because so much of this really hinges on cultivating a disposition of curiosity in ourselves, right? Cultivating curiosity about what what we're doing in Restorative Arlington, cultivating curiosity about your neighbors and about what their interests are, what their needs are, what makes them feel safe, what makes them feel a sense of belonging, what helps you feel safe, what helps you feel a sense of belonging to your community. I think the the most important thing that anyone here in Arlington County and the city of Falls Church can do to be part of what Restorative Arlington is working towards is really working on that disposition, working on the way that we think about each other, working on building better relationships between neighbors and colleagues and family members so that we are better connected and more sincerely curious about each other If someone's doing something you don't like, right, if it's a neighbor or a classmate or a colleague, instead of leading with judgment, lead with curiosity. What are they doing? What is it about their, their life right now that is leading them to do this? Is there a way for me to connect with this person and to engage with them and find out what are their priorities and their needs? And if there is a way for me to share my priorities and my needs with them so we might find a better way to move forward together. Yeah. So choosing to be curious rather than jumping to conclusions. 
Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of sort of putting two things together and being curious, are you game for my big jar of wannabe analogies before I let you go? I'm excited. Yeah. Okay, good. Let's do it. This is my big jar. I've got little slips of paper in here. I take one for you, one for me, one for the audience, and we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. Yours is pumpkin. How is curiosity like a pumpkin? And mine is tuning fork. Fork. Do you want to go or you want me to go? Um, I can go. Um, How is curiosity like pumpkin? So the first thing I thought about when I thought about pumpkins was pumpkin seeds Mm. and how, um, how inside of pumpkin are actually so many other pumpkins waiting to happen. (laughs) And I I think that's true of curiosity too. When we engage with curiosity, um, the possibilities for spreading curiosity, for spreading interest are are just seeded. (laughs) Curiosity (laughs) is full of seeds of learning, of knowing, of closeness, of compassion, of all the things um, I most value in life. I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, nice job. Tuning fork. Um, how is curiosity like a tuning fork? Well, I don't actually know much about the physics of a tuning fork. But if I understand it correctly, a tuning fork has a has a kind of a pitch and you use it to sort of match it um, in music. And I think curiosity has a pitch and it's a way for us to sort of set the 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 tune the tone of our inquiry and that if we can keep our inquiry curious as opposed to jumping to conclusions or judgmental or any of those things then that's in the spirit of a tuning fork so that's, that's what i'll say um and audience I love it. <laughs> Oh, I love it. She's snapping her fingers there. I love this. And audience, yours is paper towels. How is curiosity like paper towels? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Kimiko, this has been delightful. I'm very excited that it sounds like there's big developments coming soon, maybe even about when this show airs, which is very cool. Thank you so much for this. This has really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was delightful. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. Check us out online at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at Choose number two, letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your paper towel analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Kimiko Lighty, and the many people who did the groundwork making restorative Arlington a reality. Lots of links on my website. Thanks too to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Turning on the Lights by Speakeasy via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. I would feel bad if I left the show without naming names. So I want to start where Restorative Arlington started, with, which is with the election of our Commonwealth attorney, Prissa Degani Tafti, who really worked hard, uh, who r- ran on a platform of restorative justice, 
and has worked diligently to make this, this become a reality. And then the second person who was really foundational and continues to be part of the, the sort of core of Restorative Arlington is Leanne Rizel. She was a longtime Arlington resident, loaned from Annie E. Casey Foundation to the county government for the, the first uh, year of the Restorative Arlington Initiative, and who continues to be a mentor, a friend, a founding board member, and a really important part of Restorative Arlington. I also want to list Susan Hirsch from George Mason University's Carter School, who has been a really steadfast partner in in assessment, in funding, in the orientation of restorative Arlington. I want to name Lieutenant Damon Washington from our Arlington County Police Department, who has been a strong supporter and really someone who is always curious about how restorative justice can improve public safety in our community and improve the way that ACPD engages and is part of our community, right? I want to name Dr. Jeanette Allen at Arlington Public Schools, who has been a steadfast partner in bringing restorative justice to Arlington County Public Schools. Uh, and of course, I want to name Mark Schwartz, who is our county executive, my boss, who has been a wonderful partner for restorative Arlington, who has been amazingly supportive and just a really great person to, to be a partner with and to, to work for everyone on the county board for all of their work. We have amazing volunteers, amazing interns. Restorative Arlington is a leaderful organization, so I could spend a day listing all of the volunteers who contributed in some way over the last two years to Restorative Arlington, our partners at Impact Justice, our local RJ partners, and J.D. Spain, who is the head of our local chapter of the NAACP, has been a steadfast advisor and supporter for uh, Restorative Arlington, so we're super grateful for him. Restorative justice is a team sport, and none of this would happen without the contributions of so many people. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.